Welcome to the New Life Baptist Podcast. Our mission is to love the Great Commandment, live the Great Commission, and lead one more to Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged today as we dive into God's Word. Amen. As we continue to worship this morning, let me invite you. Let's take the Word of God, open the Word of God, and turn in the Word of God to Philippians chapter 3. I'm thankful for the time that we're able to worship together as the body of Christ. And as we continue to do so, we will continue in our series, Dear Church. We've been walking through, as we prepare for Mark in September, we've been walking through um, kind of the the letters that that Paul would write to the church and how they applied then and how they are still living and applicable even for us here today. And so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. And as you're, again, finding Philippians chapter 3... a little life update for you this week. Some of you have asked me, so just kind of let you guys know what's going on. We have four kids, right? We have a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, an almost 5, 4-year-old, and then a 1-year-old. And this past week, um, one of our four, one of our three, took the little one, the 1-year-old, down a slide, and we think we broke a leg on the 1-year-old. And so y'all pray for him. He's going back for a secondary x-ray this Thursday, but... I just want to know, if it's Halloween, we'd be the perfect costume. We got Peg Leg Pete and Captain Hook. I mean, it'd be just right. And that's just the reality of being the fourth kid is that you get used and abused. I mean, I was the fourth kid. My parents didn't even let me be born with both arms. So it's just the way it happens. And so y'all pray for our family as we navigate that this week. But I'm so thankful for a church family. Y'all have all cared for us, and we're abundantly grateful for your prayers and the way that we just navigate through this season. Philippians 3. This passage is extremely important because what this passage is going to do for us is going to tell us what a Christian is. It's going to tell us what a Christian is not. But then it's also going to lay out the truth for us on how you become a Christian if you aren't one. If you aren't a Christian, if you don't know who Jesus is, this is going to lay out the gospel for us on how we can truly receive the righteousness of Christ because we can't have it on our own. We need his. And so salvation that we're going to see today in Philippians 3, salvation, it is all about knowing Jesus. That's what Jesus would say in John 17, 3. It's all about knowing him. It doesn't mean that we know about him. It means that we have relationship with him, that we are walking with a Savior. And those who truly know Christ, as Paul's going to line out for us, will only want to know him more and more and more, to know more about Jesus, to know more about his love for us, to know about his plan and purpose for us. The amazing thing about Paul is that, that the risen Christ appeared to him and totally changed his life in the book of Acts. You go back and read in Acts 9, Jesus meets, Christ, or Jesus meets Paul on the road to Damascus. And now some 30 years later, here's what I love about Paul, he still wants to know Jesus. He still wants to know him more and more. He is not content. He's not settled. He's not had all the Jesus he could ever want. He still wants more. And so let's stand for the reading of God's word here, Philippians chapter 3. And so we press in to know what it means to follow and know who Jesus is. Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you or to repeat himself is no trouble to me. As he would plant this church, he's going to write this letter back to the church. He says, No trouble for me and it's safe for you. He says, Look out for the dogs, the false teachers. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision. 
There was Judaizers, people who were saying, hey, if you want to become a Christian, you've got to become a Jew first. And so they would tell the Gentiles, the people who were not of the household of Israel, of the household of faith, said, hey, you come to Christ, but first you've got to make a half step and come to Jew- Jewish faith. And they would tell them to do that. And he said, no, 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 we are the circumcision because we come not by man, we come by Christ. We worship by the Spirit of God. And we glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh or in our performance or our ritual. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, well, I think I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. No one can match my pedigree. As to the law, a Pharisee, I reached the top there. As to zeal, man, I was so zealous, I persecuted, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, Paul would say, I was blameless. Paul's like, look at my life. If there's anyone who could achieve salvation, it's me. If there's anyone who could impress God, it's me. Someone may say they could, but I have even better. But whatever gain I had in verse 7, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count all the things he gained, I count them all as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness again of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, in the power of his resurrection, it may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of God. Let's pray as you and I take a moment to submit and surrender to his authority over us as Lord and King. Father, I thank you for this morning that we've had to come and, Lord, to declare the witness of salvation, to see the fruit of of the conversion, the Holy Spirit working. I pray for those four, God, that they will be used by you to change the world. I thank you for the time that we've been able to declare the glory of the name of Jesus. And God, I pray right now that the word of God will do the work of God in us. That, Father, that we will come truly surrendered and submitted to hear from you. So we ask you to speak this morning, for your servants are listening. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. And God, sure it says today, amen. As you find your seat this morning, we're going to find the worship God that you were handed as you walked in. The back side is a place for you to plug in as we follow together and walk together through the Word of God. So you can use that at, at your advantage this morning. But I want to see two things here about Philippians chapter 3. Two things about Paul that he's going to show us about who he is now in Christ. Because first of all, man, Paul lines us up. Paul has a very remarkable resume. All right, Paul has a very remarkable, according to human terms, he has a very remarkable resume. When you go back and read in our text, we'll go back to verse 4 in here in a moment. When you consider the life of Paul, Paul was very impressive. He was a very impressive man, a very impressive religious man. In fact, if we had his resume before us for a staff opening, we would hire him. We consider him. He's got everything going on. He's got the right family. He's got the right background. He's got the right education. He's successful. He's influential. He's privileged. He's a leader of leaders. Paul had it all. Look in verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, man, I have more. 
I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I, didn't, I wasn't just born in this. I was born with this. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. And as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. Paul, no more impressive than any other person in the New Testament as far as pedigree, as far as achievement in the religious world. And yet, having all those things, he sat here in a prison hungry. He sat here in a prison dirty. He sat here in a prison with need. And what did he say? None of those things were enough to impress God. I had it all. And none of it was enough to impress God. So I want you to understand, when it comes to you being accepted before a holy God, your nationality, your morality, your performance, even your sincerity, it does not matter. If those things could have worked for anyone, they would have worked for Paul, right? Having all those intangibles would have worked for Paul, but they did not work because what we do will never, ever matter. In other words, there's nothing that you can do on your own to impress God. You can try. And say, God, look what I've done. Aren't you impressed? I gave X amount of dollars to the church or to the poor. Or God, look what I've done. I've given up vacations to do these things, to go on mission trips. Or God, man, I've sacrificed because when I was tired on a Sunday, I still got up and went to church, right? We can try to impress God by doing things. And yet Paul says, there's nothing that you can do on your own to impress God. I promise God is not in heaven applauding you for your rituals. God is not applauding you and, and telling you good job because you're trying to please him by doing something. In fact, what verse 7 is going to tell us, even on our most impressive day, we're still rubbish. Right? Look at verse 7. Paul would say like this, whatever gain I had, whatever good things I had accomplished, whatever I had succeeded at, I counted all those gains as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing. These things mean nothing compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them not just as a loss. He says I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. To get quite literal, that word rubbish in verse 8. Paul uses a term here that would refer to animal or human waste. All right, excrement. That's where he's going after. He's getting very little. He's painting a picture for us of what he really would, would line up as, as he would call all of his accomplishments, which kind of begs the question for us. If you were here today and you saw someone who really thought they were something because of their pile of manure, you would have some serious questions about the person, right? You'd be like, you're impressed with that? A pile of manure? Yeah, hey, check out this pile of manure. Man, it's great. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. That's the picture Paul's painting for us here. He was showing us that your life, apart from Christ, it is worthless. It stinks. It is no value. It is not worth talking about. It's not worth bragging about. It's not worth putting stock in. It is not worth you living for all your achievements, all your titles, all your worldly success and accomplishments and all your expensive future garage sale items are equal to a large pile of waste. Isn't that what it says? In other words, you cannot gain Jesus and value junk at the same time. You can't value Christ 
and still value all the things of this world as if they give you life at the same time. You can either follow Jesus or find fulfillment in this empty world, but you can't do both. Because I want you to notice, Paul says this. He didn't add Christ to his list of achievements. He said, I've accomplished all these things. Now I've got this impressive resume, this impressive body of work. I have made God happy. I've made him pleased with me. God, if he's happy with anyone, he's happy with me. And thank God, in addition to all these things, I also found Christ. And I'm just going to stack him on top because, you know, he, he's great and he's good. He deserves a top spot, but he's going to be on top of everything else. No, he says, no, I've not just added Christ. I, I've replaced all things with Christ. I don't need any of this other stuff. This other stuff amounts to nothing. What Paul would show us is that you thinking you can climb some ladder to find some kind of fulfillment, it's only two feet tall. Why are we all trying so hard to climb a two-foot ladder? Why are we all working so hard to try to fill our hearts with something that will not last? Paul would even say this. He says in verse 8, I gave up all things. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. What do you mean he lost all things? Paul says this, he's traded his accomplishments for affliction. Where do you get that? Well, in 2 Corinthians 11, 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 22, we see that, are they Hebrews? He's also talking about his resume here again. He says, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants? Talking about these false teachers. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and, other, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. And it says on frequent trips, on frequent visits and journeys and dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and in hardship through many a sleepless night. He would say, look at what I've gone through. I've gone through all these things, and, and I would say this, to follow Christ, it's worth it. To follow Christ, to lose all these things that really don't matter, it's worth it. And that's what he's saying, I count all those things as rubbish. I count those all things as a waste. I count all things as nothing compared to know Jesus. And I would just ask you this question this morning, what are you willing to give up to gain Christ? What are you willing to let go of? What's maybe in the way? What has become an idol for you? What is something that is fighting for your affection, fighting for your worship, fighting for your attention, fighting for your priority? What is something that you need to count in the lost column instead of the gain? Because we can pursue and pursue and pursue and run the race and, and go after all these things. But Paul says they're a loss. They, they don't equate to the gain that is in Christ. And so I want to challenge us as a church family that we need to give up this world in order to gain Jesus. We need to forsake this world in order to find Jesus. Following Jesus requires that we leave everything else behind. No conditions, no negotiations. And that's where we have trouble. Because I want Jesus, but man, I also want this world, right? Yeah, Jesus, that's great. But you know what? There may be some times I need to compromise a little bit because i got to gain this paycheck. And, and you know, Jesus, I know this is good, but I also need this little thing on the side as well because I know this is my thing for Sunday, but God, this is my thing for Friday, right? So we try to negotiate and bargain and try to add Christ to our collection and try to put Jesus just in the mix of things. And Paul says there's only one list. There's a list of everything else that you can gain in this world. And then there's a list that actually counts, and that's Christ. 
Submit, give your life to Jesus, count everything as a loss, find hope in him alone. Find security in him alone. Find identity in Christ alone. Your resume won't cut it, but a Savior will. So we see Paul's remarkable resume, and then we see number two, Paul's radical righteousness. All right, Paul's radical righteousness. Didn't come from him, which is radical because he kind of considered that until he met Jesus that he could do it. But now he's got this radical righteousness starting in verse 9. He says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or legalism or performance, but that which comes through faith in Christ, our faith in his righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, whatever it takes, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Don't miss what Paul's saying here. Jesus is not just the ticket to something else. Jesus is the treasure. Now, he's not the ticket. All right? He's not the doorway. He's the destination. I'm not using Christ to, to try to gain a life of prosperity. All right? That's a false gospel. Is I'm going to come to Christ, and I'm going to get everything I ever wanted and ever dreamed and ever prayed for. That's just what it was. No, Paul's in prison writing this letter, okay? He came to Christ. His life, it really, it got worse all right? from the earthly perspective. It got way better eternally, but it got worse earthly. And so we see here that he didn't just find the, the, the ticket to, to life. He found the treasure. He found hope. And what we see here is that more than anything that he's gained, Christ measures above all. More than anything he's ever done, we see that Christ has done it all for us. And so what has Christ done for us? Number one, we've been justified by his righteousness. Justified by his righteousness in verse 9. He was going to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith. Here's the problem. Only righteous people go to heaven. And not a single one of us are righteous. That's a big problem, right? That none of you in this room deserve or could earn your way to go to heaven. Not a single person in here today could do enough to impress God, to make God please and say, here's your golden ticket, all right, you're going to heaven, right? That's not how it works. That's not how it's going to happen. And so we have this problem that only the righteous go to heaven, but none of us are righteous according to Romans 3, but here comes the gospel. And the gospel is good news because while we can't achieve righteousness on our own, we can receive the righteousness that comes from faith in Jesus Christ. He came to do what we could not do. He came to live the life that we couldn't live. He came to die the death that we deserve to die. And the good news is he did it in our place. All right? The gospel is Jesus in my place. He lived for me. He died for me. And if I put my faith in him and not me and put my faith in what he has done, then I cannot achieve, but I can receive his gift of salvation. I don't receive it by doing anything. I receive it by believing in what has already been done. I live from the resurrection. I live from it is finished. And so he's going to change us. He's going to give us a righteousness, but it won't be on our terms. It's going to be on his. Me trying to perform, Paul says again, that's, that's, that's dung, right? It's, it's waste. It's not going to work. And so we see that we are going to receive from him a, a righteousness that makes us what? Justified. That's a legal term. Now, what does it mean to be justified? Well, we've heard it a lot said, and this is the way I've often said it myself, is that we see that when we are justified, we are justified never sinned. I'm declared righteous. 
I am made right with God. I am justified. But not only is it justified never sin, but it's also just as if I have always obeyed. Because I'm declared righteous. Not just like from negative to neutral. I went from negative to positive. Right? I got transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his marvelous light. Right? I went from a slave to a son of God. Right? This is what the gospel has done for me. And so I am fully, freely, forever forgiven. And then I am fully, freely found in Christ. We are justified by his righteousness. We are also sanctified by his redemption. Sanctified by his redemption. Look in verse 10. It says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming what? Like him. That's that process of sanctification. You're becoming more and more like Jesus in his death. Here's what's so challenging here about Paul. Paul never got bored knowing Jesus. Never. Paul's like, I want to become more like him. I want to share in his sufferings. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to become like him even in the point of his death. Paul never got bored with church. Paul never got tired of having to have a quiet time. Paul never just said, you know what, I guess I'll have to do this today because I'm supposed to. Paul's like, I want to know God more. I want to share with Jesus more. I want to have intimacy with Christ more. Paul absolutely knew Christ, but he wants to know him more and more and more. I love the way J.I. Packer would say this. He goes, once you become aware that the main business that you are here is for you to know God, then most of life's problems will fall into place on their own accord. You are here, and God has placed you here, and God has redeemed you here, and God has sanctified you here to know him, to pursue him, and to live a life that pleases him and gives him glory. What's your main business today, church? Your main business today is to be successful. Nothing wrong with that, but is that your main business? There's something wrong with that. Is your main business here to, to try to, to gain this, this world and to, to make sure you have all these things set in place? Again, nothing wrong with those things, but they're wrong whenever you use them to find satisfaction, joy, and identity. What he says here, your main business of life is to know Christ and to share in his life. From success to suffering, we know that God is for us and we need to become more and more like him. Here's number three. We are glorified by his resurrection. Glorified by his resurrection. See that in verse 11. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. In other words, Paul says, I am never, ever going to be satisfied in this life with what I am now. I can't wait for glory. I can't wait to be fully free. I'm never going to arrive here. I'm never going to reach perfection here. I'm never going to be the main man here. It ain't about me here. Paul says I can do all these things and run this race, but it's not anything here. What I am looking for is something that's never going to be found or completed in this life. It's only going to be completed in the life that is to come. Paul was living for the hope of the resurrection. When what? All things are new? When every tear is wiped away, when there's no more pain, there's no, no more problems, there's no more suffering, everything is fully realized and we get to stand justified and reconciled on the last day. That is what Paul was living for. And so the challenge that we see here when Paul says, I am living for the resurrection, is that we need to live with a little bit of a holy dissatisfaction. That yeah, this is it. I'm here for this. But I can't wait to fully taste and fully see yeah, I long to be here, to live as Christ, but man, to die is gain. 
Either way, I win because I'm living for Jesus. So Paul was determined to never just be satisfied with who he was, but to only be satisfied until he fully knew Christ and stood in his presence. He was RSVP, right? He was ready to go. Are you? Are you ready? Do you say that same sentiment? God, I love what you have for me here, but God, man, I'm ready to live with you forever. I'm ready for your presence. God, I'm ready for the resurrection of the dead to be fully free forever. In 1856, true story, a man named Henry Brown, he was a slave in Richmond, Virginia, and he was declared free, but was not delivered. You remember there was a line and there was the South that had the news, but they weren't declared yet, but this North was delivered, and so he was in slavery, and this man needed to be delivered. And so here's what Henry Brown did. Again, in 1856, Henry Brown found himself a box. He, he, he had a crate. He postmarked it to an abolitionist in Philadelphia, and then he got inside that box, and he sealed the box himself from the inside, and he mailed himself to the abolitionist in Philadelphia. For three weeks, this man was in the crate, and when he arrived in, in the crate and this man opened the box, another man stood up. Wouldn't that be a surprise package, right? So he opened the crate, and a man stood up, and after being in that box for three weeks, the man said, my name is Henry Brown, and I was a slave, but I heard that you were an abolitionist, so I'm entrusting my future to you. He packed himself up said, I know there's life here. I know there's freedom here. And he risked it all. He risked hunger. He risked a whole lot of comfort. He risked a whole lot of oxygen. He risked the, the risk of being discovered. He risked and gave up a lot of things to do what? To find the one who could set him free. And I want to challenge you this morning. You are enslaved to all kinds of things here. There's a whole lot that this world traps us in and pulls us in. But I want to tell you good news. You've been declared free. Jesus Christ has come, and he says, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, I have come to set you free from your sin. All you have to do is repent. All you have to do is come to me, and all you have to do is let me change you from the inside out, transform you to make you a new creation, but you must simply come. You've been declared, but have you been delivered? Have you been delivered? And today, maybe you need to put yourself in a box Walk down here and pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe that's where you just do it, right where you are, and just say, God, I need to repent of my sin. I have sinned against the holy God, but God, you still love me. And God, you forgive me and want to change me. And I want to receive that free gift today. Would you be willing to walk out of here free, found, forever forgiven in the name of Jesus? Because here's how I want to take this home, a big picture. One of my favorite life quotes that, that I have is, is by a man named Jim Elliott who died sharing the gospel. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool to give up all the stuff that you cannot keep to gain what? What you cannot lose. Would you give up everything to gain Christ today? Let's pray this morning, if you will, with me. We thank you for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss out on any and all of our future content. We pray you were encouraged by the word of God today. If you feel that the Lord is leading you to make a decision or have questions, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website at newlifebaptist.faith.